The following message was given by Raymond Goodland on Sunday, October 15th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. We're going to continue working through Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 19 through 21 today. And right here, the Apostle Paul, he's beginning to contrast these two opposing ways of life. One that he he says is being led by the Spirit, and another that he calls being guided by the desires or the works of the flesh. And so we're going to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about the works of the flesh today. So next week we'll get to the fruit of the Spirit, but today we're we're a little bit on that, that side of things. It's a little bit heavier, but let's pray. Let's ask for God's help one more time, and then I'll read this passage for us and see what else he wants to say. Lord, thank you for bringing us together again like this, uh, for reminding us of, of really the, the smallest, most vulnerable, most defenseless members of the human race, just, just the, the part that you call us to play in, uh, in looking out for the marginalized and, and being a voice for the voiceless, including those young children who aren't even given a chance to breathe. Uh, we, just, we, we pray that you would awaken our hearts to that, and, and we, we pray that you would help us to see uh, where, where the evil of this world that gets so full-blown in certain places, where it, where it finds its beginning, even in our own hearts. And we, we ask for your Spirit's help, even at that point, just to, to help root it out of our own hearts so that we would look more like your Son, Jesus, in every walk of life. And we ask this in His name. And everybody said, Amen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Warn you as I warned you before, Paul says, those who do such things, and that do such things is in the, it's in the present progressive tense. It's it's really those who who practice these things, who who really, this is a way of life for them. They haven't simply slipped into it or done it once. This is, this is how they live. This is characteristic of them. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to eventually get back into all of those things, 15 things that the Apostle Paul lists there uh, as the works of the flesh. And we'll take a closer look at at some of them with the rest of our time. But right before we do that, I want to begin the way we did last week. I want to just ask you to fill in for me the the back end of this very famous saying. All right? Don't miss the forest for the trees. Right, that saying is there because we often have, a chan- we often have the, the habit of looking at little details and getting so bogged down in the minutiae and the details that we forget to notice the obvious big picture that all those details create for us when we keep everything together. And so I want to make sure that as we get into the trees today of some of these works of the flesh that the Apostle Paul lists for us in, in chapter 5 here of Galatians, that we don't miss the big picture. A couple of big picture things I want us to see before we get too steep into the individual trees here. And here's the first one. The first one is that I want you to notice this list is not exhaustive. Look at the end of verse 21 again. As Paul gets there, he speaks about drunkenness, orgies, 
And then he says what? And things like these. Now, here's why that's important. There are so many other things that could have been included in this list. And the Apostle Paul says, after I've written down 15 of them, that's good enough. And he just puts the catch-all phrase, and things like these. That's important for us because here's what I think we have a tendency to do as people who are, who are interacting with the Bible and reading it to, to kind of determine, what, how does God want me to live? What's important to God? Who is God really, and how should I respond? We read a list like this, and we say, the thing I like to do isn't there. It must be okay. Right? So the Apostle Paul says, no, things like these. Okay? And so there are actually many other lists like this in the Bible. Now, I won't list all of them, but you can find some of those other lists in places like Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Romans chapter 1, verse 29 through 32, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 20 and 21, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 through 6, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 9, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 11, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, Revelation 22, verse 14 and 15. That's not all of them. That's not all of them. That's a whole lot of little parts of the Bible that basically are saying, God's like, here, I want to spell some things out for you. These are things that incur my displeasure. These are things I do not like. In fact, I hate them. I don't want them to be a part of your life. I don't want them in my world. They are destructive of human life. And I created you to know me and to flourish in your relationship with me. And these things have no place in your life. He says these things over and over and over and over again. And some of you are thinking, well, I I might even put two or three of those lists together and the thing that I like still isn't on the list. Things like these. The second big thing I don't want us to miss is the fact that this list, as we mentioned, contains attitudes and behaviors. Not just behaviors, but also attitudes. In fact, if you look at the list, I like to group it as the ABCs of the flesh. You'll find attitudes, behaviors, and consequences when we start to go in this direction, all right? And you'll notice here that this list contains both of these attitudes and behaviors, and here's what that means. Christianity has never simply been about correcting behavior on the surface, all right? It's important as we we notice what God says about, about our lives and how they're to be lived that we address habits and behaviors that are displeasing to God. But Christianity has never been just about correcting our behavior. In fact, Jesus was always, I mean, if you wanted to see Jesus get worked up, it was when people were practicing and and spreading a religion that only dealt with surface-level behavior. In fact, look at Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Let's go to that one, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Jesus is addressing crowds there, and he says, from within, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality. See, there are some more things on this list, aren't there? I told you. You put them them together, we're all on the list. Everything you and I are thinking about wanting to do, is there a loophole? No. It's on the list. Or it comes under things like these. Envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and they defile a person. 
So all of these evil behaviors are coming forth from the heart. And that's why when God seeks to change human beings, he starts there at the root. And he says, I will put a new heart in you, Ezekiel 36. I will take out this heart of stone. I will put in a heart of flesh. And I will cause you to walk in my ways. Christianity is never just about changing surface level behavior. And at the same time, we have to guard against the twin error. It's, it's very popular at times nowadays for people to, and I, I think people younger than me in particular, who, who are looking at things and saying that because that is true, the corollary for them is that God is no longer concerned about our behavior. Now, we dealt with this extensively last week, and I won't go back into it there, but that's just not true. You, you really cannot read the Bible and come to that conclusion. All of those different lists that I mentioned will tell you very plainly. Sometimes the Bible will just come out and say it, put away this. Anger, malice, right? stop lying to each other. It will say, put to death this, all of this immorality, all that, put it away, shouldn't be among you. Don't, no foolish joking, no, you know, all of it's in there. All right, so God is interested in our behavior. He is interested in changing our behavior if it is not pleasing to him. He's, he's simply not starting at that point. He's not putting a Band-Aid on our evil hearts and thinking that's going to accomplish anything. Do you understand the difference? All right, so never fall into either one of these errors where you think that Christianity is just about behavior modification or you think that God is not concerned about our behavior. Both of those are incorrect, and I just wanted to mention those before we got into the trees, which we will do now. All right, first let me start with the attitudes mentioned here in this passage. So we're not going directly in order now, but if you look at verse 20, Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, you'll notice that Paul mentions some things that fall into the category of attitudes. Enmity, or if you have a new international version, if that's you, raise your hand. Who's got a new international version? People are shy to say that in this. You're allowed to read a new international version. In fact, that's my, that's my native. There you go, Leela. <laughs> that's my native uh, Bible language. I started speaking NIV before I started speaking ESV. No problem. All right? So, if you notice, though, there are these, these little words that fit into the category of attitudes. Enmity is one of them. If you have an NIV, then you have the word hatred. All right, so you, you've got that there. One of the other ones there is jealousy. And in verse 21, you'll notice the word envy. Do you see that? And if you have an ESV, you might miss this one. But in verse 20 of the ESV, one of the words that you see is the word rivalries. The NIV translates that same word as selfish ambition. So that as well is one of these attitudes or postures to other people that we tend to take on when we think about only what's in it for us, even at the expense of other people. That's what that word tends to mean. Now these attitudes, the Bible says, are spurred on not by the Spirit of God, but by the flesh. This inner rebel that we've been talking about for weeks now. This thing, as Robert said two weeks ago, that always and at every cost wants to be autonomous. Self-rule. We love that as Americans, don't we, for those who are Americans. The idea of self-rule. Nobody can tell me what to do, not even God. The flesh always is opposed to the Spirit of God in us and His agenda for our lives. And that's what we're talking about here. And these attitudes are characteristic or, or characteristic of those who are dominated by the flesh. We all will find some of these things in our minds, our hearts at times, but it is possible to not just have those things there occasionally, but to be dominated by it, to have that characteristic of you to that point. And, and what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that these attitudes do not belong in the life of the Christian. They should be confronted. We should recognize that the Spirit of God is trying to weed those things out. And there are also some behaviors, if you look, 
you'll notice a lot of behaviors in here. Verse verse 20 again, or starting in 19, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. These first three have, have all to do with how we relate to other people sexually. So sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of the covenant context of marriage between a man and a woman. Impurity is, is related to that, but it, it, would be, it would be sexual activity and conduct that you would probably consider to be milder and not necessarily in violation of anything. All right? Things that are unnatural and inherently defiling. In fact, flip over to Romans chapter 1 very quickly and I'll show you. I'll show you where God uses this word again in the Bible. And, and this is important for us to understand again today with, with the cultural context and every, all the conversations going on around us. But in Romans chapter 1, in verse 24, the Bible says that God, after human beings had exchanged the truth about God for a lie and began to worship and serve things God had made rather than God himself, The Bible says, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. It's the same word there. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That's what this impurity is. There is behavior that is sexual in nature. And from God's perspective and by his assessment, it is behavior which dishonors. Dishonors each other. Dishonors the body and certainly dishonors God. And the Bible goes on there to explain this sort of impurity. And as as the Apostle Paul goes on in Romans there, he, he speaks about, verse 26, God giving us up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So again, there are lots of conversations going on about this, and and we always want to make sure that we're treating all people with dignity and respect. But there is the idea afoot that that homosexuality and that erotic passions between people of the same gender or, 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 or sex is something permitted, and that approving of this is a step of progress. And I think we, we confuse having compassion for people and recognizing their equal human dignity with affirming or approving their chosen lifestyles. I think, I think that we've, we've erred as, as Christians in recent days in that direction. I think it's very important for us to remember that we're called to be salt and light here, to be different and distinct. And God has much to say in the Bible about how we are to conduct ourselves as human beings in a sexual manner. And every time God speaks about homosexuality, he, he uses it and describes it with words like sin, impure. And, and we don't want as Christians, just because we're compassionate and just because we want to make sure people are not mistreated, we don't want to get to the point where we're always affirming all of their choices or all of their behavior. Right? There are certain desires that people will sense through no fault of their own. But feeling that desire and having that desire and choosing to indulge that desire are two very different things. All right? I have desires that, that I feel within myself at times that I'm not permitted to indulge. Right? I can't just get angry with one of my children and, and, and feel this, this fit of rage. By the way, that's on our list in Galatians, fits of rage. We don't have to explain that, do we? Fits of anger. Anybody have kids? Ch- toddlers? Anybody? 
Anybody have adults? Right? You know what that looks like, right? Fits of anger, right? But I, I can't. Um, well, I'll just give you this illustration. What, what, if, what if I felt, uh, uh, I noticed there was another woman who was attractive and, and there was some sort of attraction there. Am I permitted to indulge that desire? I'm a married man. We all feel desires or have thoughts at times that we can't indulge. Right? There, there are places where God does not give Christians permission to indulge certain desires, even if they feel those desires. Right? So we, we can't, as, as a church, get in the business of approving of every desire people feel when God speaks about it clearly. All right, so that's, that's impurity. Sensuality, back in Galatians 5.19, sensuality, again, is something forbidden, sexual in nature, but it has the sense of having no bounds, no boundaries. It's an indulgence in these desires that is reckless and without bound at all. And, and Paul continues to look at some of these behaviors. Again, we won't do all of them, but one of the ones I want, I want to point out is this business of dissensions and divisions. Look with me at verse 20. Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. The Apostle Paul warns us here of rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. And then in verse 21, the first thing he mentions is envy. All I want to do with the rest of the time here is kind of lump some of these together and, and try to give us some perspective on what's going on, certainly out in the world today around us, but I think to some degree, to be fair, it might be starting to creep into the church. I don't know the extent to which it's creeping into the church and, 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 and maybe even our church, but we hear little hints of it here and there. I just want to make sure that we understand God's word concerning these things. That one, of, one of the big things happening um, in the world today is the creation of what the Bible calls here divisions. In this particular, in this particular passage, that word divisions is the Greek word heresies, or however you pronounce that. But it really refers to these permanent groups that have been created and that are opposed to each other, right? So these, these groups, if, if, you, if you look at the political landscape, this is, this is what political parties would be called. This is the, the label. They're, they're always permanently entrenched and opposed to each other, right? And, and, and that's kind of their state of affairs and how they exist. Well, that begins to happen in the church as well if we're not careful. And it usually happens when someone begins to create or form that prior word, dissensions. Now, that word for dissensions, I won't even try to pronounce it. It's got a D and an S and an H and some other things in there, right? I won't even try to pronounce it, but it's used only one other time in the Bible, one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Why don't you turn over there for me? Or rather, Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Turn there for me, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Romans chapter 16, verse 17, that word which is in the ESV recorded as divisions, or rather dissensions, is recorded here in Romans chapter 16, verse 17 as divisions. Now, I know that's very confusing, and that's why some of you are saying, see, you should read the, the NIV, because we don't confuse you like that. But Romans chapter 16, verse 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. That word is the same word that is translated dissensions over in, in Galatians chapter 5. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And then, and then the Apostle Paul says this. Two words 
that you rarely ever hear the Bible saying to Christians because the Bible has so much to say about how we should get along and work things out. And, and here the Apostle Paul says, this is so dangerous. What I'm talking about is so dangerous, the creation of this kind of division or dissension by the introduction of things that are contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. This is so dangerous for the health of the church that he literally says, avoid them. If, if this is, it's not just something, you know, I'm not talking about somebody airing their opinion about something and you're like, oh, I got, pastor said I got to avoid you because, no, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm, I'm talking about there, there is a pattern of intentionally sowing division and dissension around doctrinal matters where someone is taking doctrine that is completely and diametrically opposed to the sound doctrine taught here and they are using it as a way to create a group around their own opinion. The Apostle Paul says, avoid them, verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. And so that is a very important thing. And certainly, look, as a church and as Christians, it, we're, we're what, almost 10 years old now? This is going to happen to us. I'm sure it has happened to us. This is always going to be a part of what the church has to be on the lookout for. And the hope is that whoever is doing something like this, the hope is that we say, hey, you know, it almost, what do you think? It almost feels like maybe there are some divisions or dissensions being created. Why don't we take this, uh, why don't we take this to the pastors? Let's take this to the elders. Let's see what they say. Right? Or why don't we take this to, to our community leader here? Let's, let's see what that person says. All right, but, but be careful because when these things begin to be introduced, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, the, the result, if it's unchecked and undealt with, the result is that it begins to tear at the fabric of the church. It begins to destroy what is precious to Jesus. So go back to Galatians chapter 5 and we'll, we'll, we'll look at some of the consequences now. Having looked at some of the attitudes and behaviors of the flesh some of the consequences. We mentioned some briefly right there. But the ultimate consequence we see in verse 21. Galatians chapter 5 verse 21. I warn you as I warned you before. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now aren't you glad the verb do is in the present and active progressive tense. That those who don't simply do this once, but those who do these things, it's, it's revealing something about who they really are on the inside. And what, what God is saying is that people like that will actually not be permitted to enter the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible uses that phrase in many places, like we mentioned. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll, we'll see it again in Ephesians chapter 5 if you read there. But that, that is what God is talking about. There are people... God is not a, a, a universalist or, or, you know, a Unitarian universalist to use that common language. There are people that have been created by God who ultimately will not inherit his kingdom and who will be left outside of that kingdom for all eternity. God loves people, um, but he is, he's not going to change his own nature or the requirements for entering the kingdom of God for all eternity. So there are people who will be left on the outside. And God says that among those people are those who are characterized by the works of the flesh as we just read it. You see that. So such people will not enter the kingdom of God. What you and I have to remember is that when we hear that, and 1 John, the book of 1 John is really helpful here. It, it, it doesn't simply say that people like you and like me who, who at times are guilty of these things, 
and, and who feel these desires in our heart, and we, we see that battle raging where the spirit is raging and fighting against the flesh, it doesn't mean that you and I are going to be disqualified from the kingdom of God. Always remember what, what John says. and he, he, I, That book, if you've never read it before, go and read all of 1 John. There's only five chapters in that book, but just go ahead and read it. He wrote it specifically so that we could know, those of us who have come to believe in Jesus, that we could know and have assurance of our eternal life. And one of the things he says there in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, look, I'm, I'm telling you these things so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So the righteousness of Jesus and his advocacy for us is strong and it is enough to handle our sin. So don't be discouraged and think that you're automatically disqualified from this. But I also want you to hear the warning that Paul gives not only once, but, but at least another time here. He says, I warned you as I warned you before. I don't want to just assume everyone here is truly covered through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want to say, look, there are, there are people who are going to miss out on this and who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is the ultimate consequence of us embracing and, and being led by the attitudes, the behaviors, and even in, in, in bringing and introducing into our relationships some of the consequences of following the desires of the flesh. But this ultimate consequence does not have to fall on us because of something that God has done for us. And so turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 3 through 4. We're beginning to close with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 through 4. You and I have the opportunity to be completely forgiven by God. If we're honest with ourselves, we're all guilty of what we have read. We're all guilty of following the desires of the flesh. We're all guilty of ruining our relationships with others through all of these different things and introducing heresies and this and that and this and, and envy and jealousy. And we, There are just a million different ways that we're all guilty of this. And so by right, if, if the law was the only thing between us and God, you and I would have to be permanently excluded from his presence. But it doesn't have to end that way because of what we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 3 through 4. How does God help those of us? Now, this is why the Apostle Paul said, listen, I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking you can just choose a religion and you can choose a ritual and, and you can just look at how your life has gone wrong, acknowledge that, and then just go and be circumcised or, or pray five times as you, as you face a certain direction or, or sacrifice this animal. But God said, no, you, I don't think you understand where things are between me and you right now. Much more, something much greater and stronger has to be done to make things right between me and you. And so here's what God did. Verse 3 of Romans chapter 8, For God has done what the law, because it was weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son, this is how God did it, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. And he did that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So here's what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Romans. He's saying that God sees your religion and he knows how ineffective and powerless that religion is to save you. He knows that that can't fix things between him and you. He knows you can't just go out there and pray or get circumcised. He, know you, 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 he knows you can't just come to church every week for a year or certainly three times a year on Easter, you know, Mother's Day and Christmas. That's not going to fix this thing. That's why we often sing, what can wash away my sin? 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Something more powerful than a set of rules or any law or any ritual had to come into the picture. So God sends his own son. And what religion, empty religion, or what the law was powerless to do, God did. How? By sending his son in our likeness and for sin. Jesus was sent into the world as an offering for our sin. He came as our substitute and as our representative, and he represented us in that transaction on the cross. When he poured out his perfect life for sinners like us, he made a way for us to be completely forgiven by God and welcomed for all eternity into the kingdom of God as his forgiven children. That is what God did. God said that there's no religion that can do this for you. It takes the blood of my son. And so God sends him into the world and says, every time your flesh interacted with my perfect law, it twisted it into a temptation and an occasion for sin. So I can't just leave you with the law if I want to help you because it's weakened by the flesh. But what the law was too weak to do, what it could not do, God did. Which means that God found a way to overcome our flesh that can't ever again be weakened or undone by our flesh. He sent his son Jesus, sent him to the cross. He received Jesus' sacrifice for us. He raised Jesus from the dead. And now the righteous requirement of God's law is fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the spirit, or, or rather don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is what is now available to us. This is the opportunity we have. We can benefit from what Jesus has done on the cross in our place, and in his resurrection. In everything he did before the cross, in his perfect life, you and I can benefit. But only when we come to him in humility. Only when we confess that, you know what, God, you're right. You're right. If a million people say I'm a good person, when I evaluate myself by your word, you're right. I fall miserably short. I fall miserably short, and I am in desperate need of forgiveness. I trust that Jesus is my only way to be forgiven. I trust that Jesus is my only way to be accepted, and I'm here to turn my life in today. There, there is a massive recall on human life. You know, every once in a while, I get this thing from Honda in the mail. You got to bring your car in because, you know, the airbag needs to be fixed. Or, Man, God is like, look, you just bring the whole thing in. It's not just the airbag. Look, it's not just the way you use your mouth. It's not just the way you use your hands. It's not just the way you use the rest of your body. It's not just the way you you look at people who are of a different skin color. It's not just the way you treat your kids. It's not just the way you dishonor your parents. Bring the whole thing in. Bring me your entire heart, that control center of your life. Leave it here and take the one that I give you instead. That is the offer God puts before us today. He gives you a new heart if you receive his son, Jesus Christ. Will you receive him? Will you receive him this morning? And the other offer he he gives to us who, who have already accepted that one is look, these divisions and dissensions that are that are just dominating the headlines, it doesn't have to infiltrate the church. We don't have to split up into black people, white people, Latino people. We we don't have to do that. Asian people, Native American, I mean, I mean look, look. We don't have to allow those external things, important as they are in some ways, God's idea, God's choice, God looked at what he made and said, this is good, this kind of diversity is good. We don't have to let that start to dominate our thinking so much that it begins to split us up. 
ethnicity, gender, culture, there's something that you and I have as Christians which supersedes all of that without doing away with it. And it provides for us a kind of unity that we can enjoy fully without undermining any one of those things individually. That's what we want to see in this church. That's what we're after. That's what we are praying for. That's what we want to call you to. That's what we want to be a part of. That's what we want to export. And this world, have you looked around? This world really needs that right now. Really needs that right now. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with this and I'll say, I, I, have, I have seen the wisdom, you know, as I get used to social media and, and newer things like that, I, I've actually seen the wisdom of not meditating upon these things too often. Right, so the Bible in Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not according to the counsel of the ungodly, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, or his word, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth fruit in its season. His leaf also will not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. See, see there, there, is, there is this thing where if our meditation is upon God's word and the spirit-inspired record of what God considers to be supremely important and valuable, if our meditation is on his word and his law day and night, on his gospel, it's going to produce a certain condition on the inside of us. And likewise, if our meditation is on these social media blogs all day and night, what did you think would happen? I mean, if we're constantly drinking in the poison of people's hatred for the current president or the former president or the, the group that aligns themselves with the current president or the group that aligns themselves with the former president, if we're, if we're constantly drinking in the poisonous attitudes and rhetoric of those who are actually at a point now where they're so worked up and angry that some are even driving cars into crowds and killing people, if you and I drink that in, what is going to happen to our soul? As your, as your pastor, as your friend, I, I want to call you away from some of that. I want to encourage you to put it away for a time and to, and to let your meditation be on the Word of God day and night. We actually have a way in this church that we do that. Many of us do that together through something we call community Bible reading. We're getting together and we're reading the same passages of the Bible today, one Old Testament chapter, one New Testament chapter and it just, just allow this to be the meditation of your heart. And if you, if you want more information about what that is and how you can get started and join the rest of us, we can, we can certainly make that available to you. But I, I, just, I think that there's going to be great wisdom in us understanding what this meditating upon, uh, what, the, what Psalm 1 says is, is basically like getting comfortable in and sitting in the seat of scoffers and taking in all that scoffing all day long. Turn off the headline news. And pick up your Bibles. Let God speak to your hearts. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to, help us to heed your wisdom. Um, protect us. Protect us, Lord, from, from all of these dangers we've mentioned. From the attitudes, uh, from the behaviors, from the consequences of following the desires of the flesh. And help us instead to be led by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit. Lord, protect whoever that is. Keep them safe. Amen. Help us. Help us to be led by your Spirit in all things. Lord, give us great compassion for those 
who are marginalized. If we, if we observe amongst ourselves or even in the lives of others that, that uh, some embrace the error we mentioned earlier, that all these different forms of human sexuality are, are good or permissible when in fact they're self-destructive. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to be winsome with our words. Help us to, to demonstrate accurately your compassion for all human life. But help us to have the moral courage that it takes not to approve of or affirm everything simply because we're afraid of how we might be perceived. Lord, at the same time, I, I pray that you would help all of us if we've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, to come to him this morning. If there's anyone in here who hasn't done that, to come to you in faith this morning, to receive forgiveness and eternal life. And then, Lord, I ask finally for those of us who have done that at some point, that you would sanctify us by your word, by your truth, that you would cause us to increasingly walk in your ways. You would help us to turn away from the works of the flesh. And as we'll see next week, that you would help us instead to walk in the direction of the fruit of the Spirit. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Everybody said... Amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.